We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This week on The Timeline, Sam is back. We induct players into the timeline, and we relive the Nuggets' victory. to start this episode with some advanced stats that you will only get here on the timeline. In the days before Sam, my co-host, left the country, the Suns won four out of five games, with the one loss being a triple overtime thriller in Washington. Then Sam left, and the Suns went two and eight, including seven home games, and all the lessons learned from the previous few games seemed to be gone, and it looked like they completely forgot how to play defense, and the defense is what spurred that four-game win streak. Then Sam gets back, and the Suns beat the number one team in the West without Devin Booker on the back of a stellar defensive effort, one of the best I've seen in years from this team. So needless to say, Sam, you are not allowed to take vacation while this team is playing well ever again. And uh, beyond that, welcome back, Sam Cooper. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, Mike. Thanks for having me back. I have to say, though, I was still watching the games um, to the best of my ability while I was overseas. So I don't know how much credit you can really give me for the Suns falling off and then (laughs) coming back. Maybe it has to do with uh, I have to be in the actual country itself, but, you know, happy to be a good luck charm. Is the only explanation. I can't find any other reason why they would forget to play defense (laughs) for a a seven uh, home game stretch. (laughs) It was a bizarre thing. How was your trip? Oh, it was great. Yeah, it was was really fun. Saw a lot of people that I hadn't seen in quite some time. Um, But like I said, tried to keep up with the team to the best of my ability. Uh, The 2 a.m. start times were rough. (laughs) 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 So uh, forgive me if I didn't didn't catch quite every moment of every game, but um, 
I, I'm still ready to talk about Suns basketball now. Last night was awesome. Yeah, really, really fun victory. So uh, the Suns took on the Denver Nuggets, as everyone who's listening knows, uh, without Devin Booker. Devin Booker's been out for a few games with uh, back spasms is how how they're talking about it. And actually, I think it was actually the Denver game that he injured at last where uh, Jamal Murray went completely ballistic from the three-point line. He took a rough screen. or He set a charge and took a rough hit and fell back onto his back and he has not been fully healthy since then unfortunate I don't think this falls into the Devin Booker's injury prone category like some people are I think he just took a hit from a guy and fell and hit his back I don't I don't know that that's necessarily injury prone non-contact injuries I think are are the more likely uh things that that you can label a player injury prone from non-contact injuries so the Suns took on the Nuggets, and they played really, really amazing defense. What what were your thoughts coming out of this game? Uh, well, you exactly said it there. They did two things really well. First of all, they played amazing defense, had maybe the best uh, defensive rotations we've seen from them uh, for a full 48-minute period all season long. And it came from everyone. It came from Melton, Holmes, Jackson, Oubre, uh, just great defensive rotations all around combined with aggressive perimeter defense to uh, give themselves plenty of fast break opportunities. But beyond that, they stayed with the Nuggets when it came to rebounding. Mike, the Suns have only out-rebounded their opponent 13 times this entire mm. season uh, in, in what's been like, what, 44 games or, or something like that so far. So safe to say they're one of the worst rebounding teams in the NBA, and they didn't even out-rebound the Nuggets last night. It was 50 rebounds for Denver and 49 for Phoenix. Um, but they grabbed more offensive rebounds than them. And I think the main takeaway is that when you do those two things, if you can have great defensive rotations, um, force more turnovers for the other team than you have yourself, and also come away with second chance opportunities thanks to offensive rebounds, you can brick plenty of open threes as the Suns mm-hmm. did last night. They didn't shoot too well from beyond the arc. You can get fucked over by the refs when it comes mm-hmm. to foul calls. But if you do those two things, uh, you're going to have a fighting chance in basically every game, even against the top talent in the Western Conference. A couple things on on first of all the refs and defense. The what you were talking about defensive rotations and and that I think was the most impressive thing throughout this game. It, you know there were a lot of deflections, there were a lot of steals, there were some blocks as well. But I think just contesting shots and getting up into a, the offensive players' space and making them uncomfortable was the most impressive thing in this game. They were chasing shots down, they were chasing the ball around, they were switching. Uh, a lot, a lot of switching between the wings on the perimeter, and and it seems like the bigs only switch if they're absolutely forced to, which I like because if the wing can chase a player around a screen, they should. That should be what we're doing when it's when it's a, a big man involved in that, especially uh, you know Holmes and and Aiton. Although Aiton's very good at defending perimeter players, we only want that for a few seconds at a time at the most. We don't want a full isolation in those scenarios. But what I wanted to talk about was how much in the last seven, we'll talk about those seven home games briefly, what neutered their defense in those seven home games were a lot of foul calls early in the game. It seemed like the script for the game was written before it had started. It was the best players, the best defensive players getting into foul trouble early and then being less and less aggressive on defense as the game went on. And I wanted to talk about that because we had a great report from Dwayne Rankin that talked about uh, Igor Kokoshkov was saying that he's not the type to really yell at the refs in the middle of the game. And I, I talked about that actually on the last podcast with Rice 
I wanted him to get a tech defending his players because it's it's just ridiculous how often TJ Warren goes to the ground and these guys get called for cheap fouls and, and TJ Warren gets nothing. So he did say, Igor Kokoshkov did say, that he sent notice and uh, was in contact daily, he said, with the NBA about the foul disparity between the Suns and other teams. And in this game, the Suns actually shot more free throws than uh, the Nuggets, which is not really... I think the turning point. What I think was important is they weren't getting those cheap fouls on defense that they were getting in the previous seven games. I don't know that there's a direct correlation between Igor Kokoshkov reaching out to the NBA and saying, hey, stop calling these cheap fouls on us and then giving us nothing when we fall to the ground. Uh, or it was just one game where it just so happened to be that the refs were kind of on top of it. But I will say, if they're getting those type of cheap fouls with the aggressive style of defense that we're playing right now, that really neuters the defense. Did you notice that, or, or how do you feel about that? Yeah, I noticed it. First of all, um, I commend Igor for sort of reaching out on that because I think there are multiple ways to uh, uh, be in communication with the league and and sort of uh, get the refs to hear you out without you know just picking up texts in the actual game itself. So it's good to hear that he has contact with them um, on a routine basis. Uh, but also... Regardless of whether there was any correlation last night or not, it's still going to be a trend that the Suns pick up a lot of fouls defensively simply because of the nature of, of the defense that they're playing. On average, if they are this aggressive with their perimeter defenders, they are going to pick up more fouls than the other team. They're more likely to uh, put themselves in the bonus early on in quarters, and there are just going to be some nights where it's like that uh, for the Suns. I, I think it's just something that you can't really avoid if you have that style of play. Now, on the other hand, them being a young team, you can make the argument that they're not getting respect from the officials that they should. Um, but yeah, over overall, I think last night was a bit of an outlier. We're usually not going to see the Suns shoot more free throws uh, than the other team, but they can still win games even despite that. Yeah, it should be said it's only the seventh time that that's happened. Yeah, that's this insane. Year. There's 44 games played, so 37 of those games the opposing team shot more free throws than the Suns. And and they are a little foul prone. I'm not saying that they're not, actually. We, we do have some players that tend to reach uh, when they don't have to, but I think they're getting better and better at uh, playing without gambling, I think. We, I talked about it with Josh Jackson in the previous podcast, and I do have a stat that I want to bring up real quick. So lineups, a three-man lineup with Bridges, Jackson, and Melton, who all three started this game. They've played 111 minutes so far, and they have a defensive rating of 96.6. And for those of you who do not know about defensive rating, that would be number one in the NBA if a team played at that level by six points. So the best defensive team in the NBA, the OKC Thunder, is about 102 point, I think it's 102.1. Uh in defensive rating. So they have a much better defensive rating than that. And I think it's important to talk about this because for a couple of reasons, Melton Jackson and Bridges are playing really great defense. And to see the team play the way they did in the first quarter may or may not be sustainable when Devin Booker comes back into the lineup. And I think Devin Booker sitting on the sidelines and watching this team play defense the way they did in that game is going to be important going forward because it's not necessarily about being perfect defensively but it's about understanding your rotations and not missing the switches because one player not being in line with the rest of the team when you play defense the way they're playing defense the scheme they're playing defense with can sort of break it all down then there's players rotating when they didn't need to and there's missed rotations there's wide open layups wide open three-pointers 
So it it will be an interesting thing to see. Uh, you know, we saw it with this game. We saw it in the Kings game. Really good defense played by these guys. And whether or not they can sustain this with Devin Booker coming back will be very interesting. I think he's got a lot to think about coming into this next game. He does. Um, on the other hand, what's the offensive rating for that lineup? Oh, that's a good question. Let me bring it up while you talk here. <laughs> because, of course, there is a flip side to everything. That is an amazing defensive rating. Um, like you said, you know, it, it would be best in the NBA by a long shot. Uh, but I think my question would be, can you then insert Booker into that lineup and play Jackson at the four? Can you get away with doing that, still have the defensive benefits, but also maybe inject some offense into that lineup? Because if you're playing Melton at the one, Bridges at the two, and Jackson at the three, you're going to struggle to score most nights. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and, and it's not it's not saying that the team is not better with, with Devin Booker on the floor, of course. No, I, yeah, I, I know you're not saying that. <laughs> As we know... Yes, but I think it should be said that I don't think this game would have went the same way if Devin Booker was playing the normal type of defense that he plays. Uh, it it took that kind of effort. The Nuggets are one of the best offensive teams in the NBA. They're very efficient. Uh, you know, they know how to move the ball well. They have shooters surrounding one of the best big men passers of all time. Not not exaggerating. One of the best big men passers of all time in Nikola Jokic. And I think that, you know, with, with Booker playing, things things could change a little bit. So, Okay, that offensive rating for that lineup is 101.7. So not great, <laughs> but still, still a net still, rating of 5.1. Yeah, net rating of 5.1 is good. Yeah, so, you know, it's, it's just an interesting thought. And, and like you said, there's an interesting conversation that is going to be had about this team and power forward because I don't think that that position, our two biggest positions of need right now are point, point guard, as we've talked about every single day since, um, I don't know, May. Uh, and of course, the other one is power forward. So, uh, you know, I'm not sure if Josh Jackson, if we if we slot Devin Booker back into that lineup, has the length or the strength no, I don't think to so. contend with a lot of power I don't forward. think so either, and I'm sort of at the point now where power forward is as big a priority as point guard for me. Uh, and we're going to do a cap update later in this episode, sort of talk about uh, where the Suns stand going into free agency next summer. But there are a lot of interesting names out there on the free agent market. If the Suns can't get super lucky and, and go for Zion, who obviously would fix a lot of these issues, uh, there are some interesting power forward names that would shore up some of the problems they're having on the glass uh, because they've got a huge rebounding issue still uh, and, and some other problems as well like defense. Sam and I are about to induct players into the timeline. So not the timeline referring to the podcast, but the timeline referring to the future of this team. So for those of you who don't know, the timeline has become a bit of a rallying cry, a hashtag for Suns fans, similar to the process like the 76ers. It was originally named uh, by Espo and Chris Hansen on Twitter. And they just decided that the timeline is going to be what the process was for the Suns. So the idea around the timeline is uh, focus on players who will peak together. So ages are important. 
Um, and what Sam and I are going to do now is we're going to talk about who is our core going forward. We're going to induct players into that core. And then what does that do for our cap situation going forward? So we want to talk about uh, who we want to remain on this team and what does that mean for our cap situation. And I think it's important for me to say I'm out on vets. <laughs> I'm fully out on vets well, going forward because we've just been burned. No, and that's I don't like that. We've been burned a couple of times. <laughs> the right vet could come in here and 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 do well. I I don't accept the argument. If we're going to have the argument from the get-go that uh you know, the timeline is so sacred that no player over the age of 27, 28 can come in here, then actually James Jones was saying something interesting last night on the broadcast. I don't know if you heard, mm-hmm. but he was saying I did. I it's kind of related to this. He was saying if Aiton had the team Doncic did where he had a 32-year-old and a 40-year-old and a 33-year-old and, and so on and so forth on his team, um, he said something like, I think he would be putting up much better stats um, and, and having a better season overall. So you can maybe clue into that as what James, Jones, uh, what James Jones's idea of roster construction is going forward. Um, I would say don't be surprised if he goes after more veterans uh, along, among the likes of, you know, the Ariza and Anderson types that may have burned us in the past, but maybe not in the future. Well, if Anderson was playing like Anderson was playing a few years ago, that would make sense. But I think bringing in guys like Trevor Ariza or Tyson Chandler, who still have this sort of this sense that they're still really able to contribute and really great players, it didn't work. And I don't think it works going forward. I, I genuinely believe there is a generational gap happening in the NBA currently where a lot of the older players don't fully connect with the younger players. And we saw that Tyson Chandler did a pretty good job while he was here, but I don't think he ever enjoyed playing on the Suns. And I don't even think he ever really put a full 100% effort out on the floor while he was here. And we saw it with Trevor Reza where the first few games were good, and, and you saw that lack of effort going forward when he realized what it was really like to play with these young guys. And I think the other lesson that we have to learn is Jimmy Butler in Minnesota. We saw a guy in Minnesota who really fit perfectly on that team as far as play style goes, but he didn't want to play with these young guys because he didn't understand their work ethic and he didn't understand uh, what they were like on and off the court. There was just a generational gap and he's pretty close to their age, but there's still something different about these young guys that came into the NBA and how they act and and the way they they treat each other that these older players don't fully understand. So I'm not saying that there's not a perfect vet that could fit on this team, but I think the likelihood is they're going to be low usage role players. Okay, so you're talking about now Jamal Crawford, because I was going to say, how do you reconcile that idea with a guy like Jamal Crawford who's come in, hasn't played well, but has wanted to be on this team? Is that just because Jamal Crawford is fighting for his NBA life? Yes. <laughs> yes, yeah. I definitely believe that. I don't know that there's a place for Jamal Crawford besides on a team like the Suns. And I think Quincy Acey is another good example of that. Quincy Acey, not not exactly a stat sheet stuffer, <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. He picked up plenty of but, fouls so far. Yeah, I mean, he, he yeah, I guess that's on the stat sheet. But he, you could see the type of effort and energy he brings on the floor constantly. He's, he's taking charges. He's fighting for offensive rebounds. He knows where he should be. He doesn't hesitate when he catches the ball. He either drives, passes, or shoots. Um, not not a lot of shooting, I'll be honest, so far. Uh, but that type of veteran actually kind of makes sense. Still relatively young, although Quincy Acey looks like he's 40. I think he's like 28. Um, still relatively young, but a vet still. Those types of guys make sense on this team, but the idea of dedicating 
a large chunk of our cap space to someone who is a veteran player, I'm not sure that I'm buying into that anymore. Like, you know, you, you could see a guy like, here's an example. Draymond Green is going to be a free agent. Draymond Green, in a on paper, is a perfect fit on this team. He helps our playmaking problems. He's a really good rebounder. He's an excellent defensive player. He would essentially be the captain of our defense on this team. But I don't believe that he would enjoy at all playing with a whole bunch of young guys uh, and, and figuring it out with them going forward, especially coming from a championship team like the Warriors. And and that's the kind of problem we're going to have with basically any veteran. They're at the point in their career that they want to win a championship. And this team, the Suns, although they have a bright future going forward, they're not really in championship contention for a, a couple of years, let's say. And that's in, in best case scenarios. I, I think it's all about the Suns picking up momentum, though. If you pick up enough momentum, any free agent is going to want to sign with that. Look at, um, since we just played the Nuggets last night, look at Paul Millsap. You think Paul Millsap doesn't enjoy playing on the Nuggets because he's 33 and everyone else on that team is 23? Yeah, that that's true, and and that's a good scenario, but it should be said that the, the Nuggets are just better. Yeah, they are better. better. You're right, they are better, but they weren't necessarily that much better. I mean, when he signed there, I think they were okay. And so if the Suns can just get to the point where they're okay by the end of the season, and that's how... You know, that's kind of a big ask. But if they can get to that point, there's no... I mean, it's exactly what we were talking about this year when we signed Ariza in the first place. We wanted the Suns to be good enough that they could be respected uh, or, you know, respectable. And that as long as they could get to that point, more free agents would want to come and and play in Phoenix. I think that should still be the end goal. We need a practice facility and a uh, a private chef first, right? (laughs) I agree with with you on that. Anyway, let's get to... uh, Maybe inducting some players in the timeline. Actually, let's quickly, let's talk about our cap situation um, without any of these guys going forward. So it, just just to quickly cover it, um, signed next year. Just talk about the guys that are signed next year. It's Ryan Anderson, TJ Warren, DeAndre Ayton, Josh Jackson, Mikhail Bridges, Devin Booker, Elia Kobo, and DeAnthony Melton. So just, just looking at those guys alone, there is, uh, of course, there is DeAndre Ayton, Mikhail Bridges, Elia Kobo, and DeAnthony Melton that are rookies this year. So those guys going forward are on the team. Relatively cheap contracts, so clearly those guys are going to be on the team. That doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to include them on the timeline. This team is 11-33. and 33. Every player is available except for possibly uh, Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. So, we're, you know, just talking about that, Sam, you have some some cap numbers in front of you. Um, do you want to briefly cover the cap situation before we talk about this team? And then once we induct some players into it, let's talk about what it looks like if we include those players in the timeline going okay, forward. Okay, so this, just so I understand what you're saying, this is the cap situation if we got rid of players like Kelly Oubre or Sean Holmes? Yeah, let's just say without re-signing everyone, what does it look like so far? Okay, if the Suns didn't re-sign anyone, so no Dragon Bender, no Troy Daniels, no Rashawn Holmes, no Kelly Oubre, then they could have anywhere from about 27 to as much as $42 million in cap space. Okay, perfect. So I think that's an important number to think about because if we're talking about keeping guys that we've become attached to, uh, it's important to understand what that means. So that's quite a bit of cap space going forward, and that's that's with Ryan Anderson and his albatross factor. Yeah, I in. should say that's it's all dependent on Ryan Anderson, and we'll talk about how this affects the cap in a little bit. But 
the 27 million on the lower end is if you keep Ryan Anderson as is, the 42 million on the upper end is if you wave and stretch Ryan Anderson's uh, final year of his deal. Perfect. So let's talk about it. Who is our core? I think there's a couple obvious things, and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong on these, but uh, the obvious in on the timeline, I'm only including two players on this because I think it's important to have the conversation with the rest of the team. It's Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. Those are the two clear pieces of this core moving forward, and everyone else has to fit around those two. Next. (laughs) There's no no conversation (laughs) to be had about these. There's no debate. Yeah, it's not that interesting. Those guys are great. Obviously, both of them have defensive struggles, and I think that's actually an important point to make. Neither of them are perfect defensive players. Aiton has shown some promise. Devin Booker this season only, I think, to be honest, has shown some promise. But fitting players around those two guys in their defensive struggles is going to be part of the conversation moving forward. So the obvious outs. The obvious outs. Anyone over 28. (laughs) Uh, Jamal Crawford, Ryan Anderson, Quincy Acey, Jawan Evans. Sorry, Jawan Evans. Nothing against you here, but you're not getting minutes and and you're probably not going to be on the team going forward. Jamal Crawford... I, I would not be surprised if Jamal Crawford is part of our front office next year, especially if James Jones is the general manager. So uh, if you include him at, at the timeline as part of our young front office, maybe you can include Jamal Crawford there. Ryan Anderson, clearly not part of the team moving forward. Quincy AC, I like you so far, Quincy AC. We haven't really had the AC conversation. Not much to say. You're an effort guy. Um, and Jawan Evans, of course. Any other guys that are obviously out? To no, you? that's you covered it. Everyone else is the interesting conversation. All right, let's get into it. Let's get into it. So there are a few free agents. There are a few guys that are still signed. Like I said, I'm not. we're not including the guys that are still signed on this team automatically as part of the timeline going forward because we're 11-33 and 33 and everyone's available at this point. So we'll go through each guy one by one here, and then I, I want to talk about all the wings together uh on in as part of the conversation at the end of this so first let's talk about troy daniels so troy daniels is a free oh, agent he i missed him he's an obvious out i'm so, i'm sorry i really <laughs> like troy daniels but i didn't i didn't realize yeah. that i totally glossed over his name well as actually it should be said why is he an obvious out to you it's it's cap reasons right? yeah it's just cap reasons um we're gonna get into it i keep saying that i should stop saying that <laughs> but um i don't think the Suns can really afford to to keep troy daniels around for three to four million anymore for him to to not really get much playing time they really need to be smart with their caps uh their cap maneuvers uh if they want to build a winning team going forward and troy daniels i think he's done he's a consummate professional he's done a really good job yeah. making the most of his minutes this year he's yeah. there whenever igor needs him maybe he's going to be a regular part of the rotation sort of now well not a regular part but it's starting to feel like Igor counts on Daniels a little bit more than he does a guy like uh, Jamal Crawford. So we might start seeing more of Troy Daniels in the second half of the season. But still, when Devin Booker is healthy, we're not going to see much of him. So he's a great shooter. He's yes. one of the best shooters in the world. But he doesn't do enough beyond that to justify him yeah. being part of the long-term solution. Yeah. yeah. Uh, play, play Troy Daniels, Igor, please. I'd like to see I really, him play for the rest of this year. Yeah, I really like him. Yeah, me too. And I will say, though, just just to add to your point there... <laughs> Troy Daniels put a lot of effort into his dribbling, his ball handling over the summer, and man, is it still not very good. <laughs> he every time he dribbles, uh, he really just has to give up the ball pretty quickly, and that's okay if you if you're elite at one skill. 
then you can still have a role in the NBA, and he probably will going forward, but maybe not on this team. And I will say, depending on how free agency goes, I could see a scenario where Troy Daniels does end up on the team going forward in the future, but he's not really a part of that core. And actually, another guy that's a similar uh, similar situation to that is Dragon Bender. Uh, there's just no chance that Dragon Bender is on this team after this year for cap reasons, right? Yeah, no chance. Bum. And I'm sorry, Bender. I, what a waste of a pick, but it's just not possible. Yeah, I mean, if he wants to re-sign at the very end of August for a minimum deal, that's that's another thing. But Right, but why? Yeah. <laughs> if anything, he'll end up on another team. Yeah. We've already renounced his rights going forward, so he's going to be uh, available to other teams unrestricted. So uh, even if he does end up in the NBA, which I think is possible, I think there's another team out there that could take a flyer on him, especially teams that are good and have very limited cap space like like the Rockets. I could see him ending up on the Rockets next year because they could just give him a try. Yeah, top five picks. Worst case scenario. The- top five picks don't leave the NBA that quickly. He'll bounce around on a couple of uh, training camp preseason squads. He'll get a 10-day contract or two. Uh, if he goes through two or three more teams and still all of those teams have given up on him, then he'll be out of the league. But it's not quite time for him to pack his bags yet. So there's one more player I think that it's kind of boring <laughs> before we get into, I think, the interesting part of this conversation. And that's Elia Kobo. So Elia Kobo, he's on the rookie scale through 2021. There's no reason to get rid of Elia Kobo. But if you're looking to trade players going forward and you're trying to solidify this core, a player like Elia Kobo is one of those obvious throw-ins that could be included on a trade going forward. Now, Elia Kobo has shown some things. He's been pretty good at passing. He's He's actually had some... Uh, pretty weak uh, outlet passes <laughs> that end up in turnovers quite a few times. He's over-aggressive on defense, not a great defender. He can shoot. We've seen the ability of shooting off the dribble in the past. Uh, he's got skills, but in my opinion, he hasn't really shown enough to be part of this core going forward, and I think that's a pretty obvious thing, right? Yeah, the Suns are looking at a situation where they're going to try to solve the point guard situation this summer. Uh, and then depending on who they get, if it's a top prospect like, uh, I don't know, Morant or something, or or if they get uh, an actual NBA caliber veteran, uh, then DeAnthony Melton slides in as the de facto backup and Akobo is sort of out of the picture, right? So he's yeah. he has a chance to prove himself still. Um, I think there's no reason to yeah. throw him in uh, as a trade filler so quickly into his career. I think he still has good potential. Uh, but as of now, he's not really... A part of that core i agree and i think elliot kobo could be a very good player going forward i think he has no star potential necessarily but i don't think that's what you expected when you pick him at where he was picked in the draft there's no reason to get rid of him at this point like i said unless you're trying to trade for a very good player and they look at elliot kobo as a piece that could um move the needle for them going forward actually here's an example if the atlanta hawks we're thinking about getting rid of Jeremy Lin. Jeremy Lin likely would be a stopgap for this team going forward. Not necessarily a player that would be part of the future. Like, we probably wouldn't include Jeremy Lin in the timeline, if you will, if we're including him here. Is El- is Elliot Kobo the type of player that you'd be willing to move for a guy like Jeremy What Lin? happened to, I don't want any veterans on my team because veterans don't play well <laughs> with the young guys? I wouldn't do it either, actually, to okay. be honest. But I think that's the type, I think that's the type of guy that... If if the Hawks were wanting to move on from 
uh, Jeremy Lin going forward, they would probably say, give us Elliot Kobo and that Milwaukee pick and you can have Jeremy Lin. I'm not even saying that I would do that. I think that at this point, I think it's clear that the team should be holding on to that draft pick and maybe losing a few more games is not the worst scenario. What if we do end up with Zion? This team looks a lot different going forward. So I think holding on to that is an interesting thing going forward. So buying a few more wins uh, and then giving up on a player like Elliot Kobo may not be worth it, but that's, I think, the type of thing that uh, people will be asking for him. All right, this is where it gets interesting. Let's talk first about Rashawn Holmes. So Rashawn Holmes, an interesting situation for Rashawn Holmes. He is a free agent. We do own, we have his rights as far as a restricted free agent, and we do own his bird rights going forward. We should talk a little bit about what those <laughs> what those mean. I think a lot of people who who listen to this podcast, they're kind of basketball nerds on Twitter and on Reddit and they understand these phrases, but maybe not everyone. So, uh, a couple things happen with a free agent. And you can help me out here, Sam. So, uh, bird rights. First let's talk about bird rights. Bird rights allow teams who own the bird rights for a player to sign them above the cap moving forward without it counting against the team. Um, as far as being penalized for being above the cap, uh, right? Is that a good explanation of that? Do you have anything to add to that, Sam? Nope, you got it. It's pretty straightforward. There are some rules as far as how a team can own the bird rights. Uh, usually you draft a player. Uh, they have to be on the team at least two years to get early bird rights. Three years and more, you get full bird rights where you can sign a player above the cap without any penalty. Early bird rights have restrictions as far as the total amount you're allowed to go above the cap without being penalized. The other thing is when you have a player on your team, uh, when you're factoring in cap space, they have what's called a cap hold uh, unless you renounce that hold. So when we talked about Troy Daniels and Dragon Bender, and we're talking about cap space moving forward, in order to potentially sign free agents for a lot of money, you renounce your cap hold on Troy Daniels and Dragon Bender, and that, and that gets rid of what they could potentially be on um, the books for next year. A cap hold is usually a percentage of the total amount of the uh, contract that they could receive going forward. So Rashawn Holmes, if we do re-sign him next year, there would be a cap hold that we can't use for other players. We could potentially sign larger free agents and then do the Rashawn Holmes deal after that, which would allow us to go over the cap to keep Rashawn Holmes and larger free agents. And that is the conversation for a few of these guys going forward. Does that make sense to you, Sam? And do you have anything to add to that? <laughs> uh, no, that's that's a good explanation. The best way I've seen um, cap holds described or explained, I think the easiest way is just that it's a placeholder uh, and it closes the loophole that has to do with bird rights. Because theoretically, if we didn't have cap holds, you could have a team which was a roster of 12 to 15 players who all hit free agency in the same summer. So then that team is able to use... 90 or 95 million dollars whatever the salary cap is to go out sign an entire roster of new free agents and then use the bird rights on all of their existing players who just hit free agency to re-sign all of those players uh so we have cap holds as a placeholder to put on your salary cap sheets uh which negatively impact your cap space but it's kind of important that they be there so that we don't have situations like that happening so a cap hold is cap space that you cannot use if you plan on re-signing a player but you can potentially re-sign players with bird rights above the cap, even factoring in that cap hold. So that's a basic explanation of that. So Rashawn Holmes is a free agent. He does have a cap hold for next year. Uh, I absolutely 
include Rashawn Holmes in the future of this team. For one, he's the perfect backup center for a guy like DeAndre Ayton. They get along really well, which I think matters. But the flaws that DeAndre Ayton has are defensive, and Rashawn Holmes covers that up. And I think this last game against the Nuggets was a great example where Rashawn Holmes played essentially until three minutes left in the game. The most important, or actually might have even been less than three minutes, the most important minutes as far as closing this game out were actually held by Rashawn Holmes at the center position. And when DeAndre Ayton came back in, we had a lead, I think, that was sustainable through the end of the game. Um, and I think a guy like Rashawn Holmes that you can count on to hold that kind of lead or even build on that lead is absolutely necessary for this team going forward. Um, to me, he's an obvious in on the timeline moving forward. How do you feel about him, Sam? He's playing out of his mind since the Kelly Oubre trade. Actually, he's been playing out of his mind for months, but just I, I filtered it since the Kelly Oubre trade. He's been averaging 18 minutes a game, 10.4 points, 4.5 rebounds, and 1.2 blocks on 72% shooting from the field and 84% wow. shooting from the free throw line. Wow. He's he's just everything that you want out of your backup center. He's giving you the defense. He's giving you the rebounding. He's as efficient as you can expect from a rim runner in the NBA. I mean, you've got a lot of rim runners who maybe shoot 65, 70% from the field because all they do is dunk, but then they go to the free throw line and they brick half their free throws. Rashawn Holmes right now is shooting... 72 percent from the line uh, on the season that's a career high and over the past couple of months he's shot up to 80 percent from the free throw line so he's just doing really really well and i would say um yeah he's he's definitely a part of this team's future going forward but it kind of depends on what he sees as his future in the nba does he have the ambition to try to be a starter at some point because then maybe he doesn't want to stick around as deandre ayton's backup for the next five years yeah, I think that's actually a really important point because that's absolutely where he would be. And there's, and you know, DeAndre Ayton, regardless of who you think is better right now, and I think it's DeAndre Ayton, but I know there are Suns fans or, or, or fans of other teams that would argue that Rashawn Holmes is a more effective center in the NBA currently. And I understand that argument because what you want out of a center, Rashawn Holmes just does. He just does it. He hits his free throws. He rotates. He defends well. He protects the rim. He has a high shooting percentage. And he draws fouls. And and I've talked about it on Twitter. He's been incredibly good and way better than I expected at finishing through contact. This this is something that takes a soft touch. And Rashawn Holmes, when described, I didn't have a lot of time to watch him before he came to the team. But when you talk to Sixers fans who watched him, they basically said he's a guy who can dunk and that's it. And that's not what he is. He's definitely more than that. He's able to catch the ball on a short roll. He can make that pass to the corner three, but he can also dribble once, absorb contact, and finish over a defender, which is very, very good to have in a backup center. And it's it's difficult to say if he was given starter minutes, if that type of effort and energy would remain, because at 18 minutes a game, it's almost incredible that he's even able to maintain that many minutes at that level of energy because he's constantly going just constantly how much is his cap hold uh next for the next year his cap hold is awesome it's 1.6 million which is nothing yeah so the conversation about what he can make is an important one there uh we can sign him above the cap so it might not matter but i think it matters to a guy like Robert Sarver. He he has to know that this matters, and I don't want to lose Rashawn Holmes, and I really hope he's part of the future going forward because it's clear that he's a perfect fit. And 
you know, we talk about him on the court, but uh, he's a culture guy, I think, too. I, I've called him a culture changer on, on Twitter. Just having a guy on the floor that's constantly giving effort. We've talked about it for months and months. Sam and I are obsessed with these guys. PJ, The P.J. Tuckers, the Shaq Harrisons, the Rashawn Holmes, the Mikhail Bridges, the D'Anthony Meltons. These guys are guys that change how a team plays consistently. And I think it starts on this team, to me, with Rashawn Holmes. So he's part of it going forward. How much do you think he could make in free agency? Do you have any ideas? Yeah, well, that's a really good question. And unfortunately, I don't have any ideas because the value of the backup center in the NBA has been constantly fluctuating for the past several years. You remember a few years ago when every team had cap space in the the offseason where Kevin Durant went to Golden State. There were guys like Jan Mahimi making $15, $16 million a year. There were guys like Bismack Biombo making that much. And Rashawn Holmes right now is playing easily as well as those guys were back then. I think teams learned their lesson from that. And then you saw saw sort of the opposite effect last offseason when nobody had cap space. And, you know, suddenly it was guys like, you know, good players like Julius Randle having to mm-hmm. sign for $7 million a year. Guys like Alex Len had to wait until, I think, early August to sign a one-year $4 million contract. And Alex Len is yep. not a bad backup center. So Yeah, Br- Brooke Lopez. Brooke Lopez signing for like... Making nothing, playing really well. Yeah, um, so I think it's, it's hard to say. This year, more teams will have cap space than next year. So I definitely think Holmes' value is going up. Is he worth $6 million? Is he worth $8 million? Is he even worth nine or ten million dollars? I don't know. Right. Um, I, right. I think that's going to be one of the most interesting storylines of the offseason is kind of gauging the value of a player like that. I think he's a lot harder to pin down than, say, a free agent like Kelly Oubre. The good news is for Suns fans is really only that one, what was it, 1.8 million that you said was his cap hold? Yeah, 1.6. 1.6. So really only that is factored in when we talk about potential big name free agents going forward because anything else signed beyond that can go above the cap. Assuming we can put together uh, a team that could really compete for the playoffs, because I doubt Robert Sarver would be willing to go above the cap unless there's a really good chance that we go uh, to the playoffs in the coming years. So there's a lot of pressure, I think, moving forward on putting together a good team for, for a guy like Devin Booker alone. So luckily, he does not want to lose, and I think he will put that pressure on Robert Sarver for Suns fans. So speaking of interesting, as you were talking about, uh, let's talk about DeAnthony Melton, another guy who's in a very interesting situation. So the quickly on DeAnthony Melton, he's signed next year. So there was a really rough situation where the, the Suns did not have the space to take on DeAnthony Melton as far as roster space is moving forward. So the, the story is the team was looking for anyone to bite on Tyson Chandler. Nobody bit on Tyson Chandler, so they couldn't move him, and they had to sign DeAnthony Melton to a two-year contract, which is only good through the end of next year at one year, $1.4 million. So he's making absolutely nothing going forward. So without talking about the contract situation yet, just DeAnthony Melton as a player, now he's may, he may or may not be a starting point guard going forward. Uh, we've seen him really pick up his point guard skills in the last few weeks. He's found his ability to pass. His turnovers are down. He's an excellent, excellent defender. Uh, a potential real, like, defensive player in the NBA, like really, really, really good, like first team all defense yes. potential uh, uh, on that point guard position. So so that's pretty good going forward. Obviously, we're talking about building around Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. So with that kind of skill set, to me, he's got to be on the timeline moving forward. 
But there are issues. So what do you think about D'Anthony Melton just as a player? Uh, come on. <laughs> what, yeah. what do you think I'm going to say? He's great. It, since he became the starting point guard, he's averaging two steals per game in 25 minutes, close to three steals yeah. per 36 minutes. I, I mean, if he keeps going at this rate, he'll be averaging two steals per game pretty soon on the season. Only a few point guards have done that going back 25 years. I think it's Chris Paul, yeah. Ricky Rubio, and uh, Allen Iverson, maybe Mario Chalmers. I also saw him there. I can't remember off the top of my head. The point is only a few names. And Melton, like you said, he's got serious potential. He leads the entire NBA in deflections per 36 minutes. He changes the culture of your team. He changes the entire outlook of your defense going forward. He changes your defensive schemes and, and your ability to consistently outscore other teams when it comes to fast break points. He's just, uh, yeah, I, I like DeAnthony Melton in case you couldn't tell. <laughs> Yeah, briefly, yesterday after the Nuggets game, uh, we turned our Twitter account into a D'Anthony Melton fan account because it was just a remarkable, remarkable game from him. He and we really even didn't cover it in the opening. Someone, yeah, steals someone on wheels. said that on Twitter. I can't uh it It's now. perfect. But it's perfect. He steals on wheels. I'm going to use that from now on. It's a really interesting game to talk about because he went 0 for 7 in that game. And I'll be honest, I did not even realize that until the game was over because the impact he had on the floor was so massive that lack of shooting did not really affect how I felt about that game and, and how he was playing. It was a remarkable game. He had 10 assists. I believe it was his first game with 10 assists. Um, he had only two turnovers with, to the 10 assists, which is a pretty amazing stat, especially for this Suns team. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the four steals and, and, and a block. And he, a really, really remarkable game for DeAnthony Melton. And I think it's clear he's part of the team. Here's the issues. First of all, he signed next year, so we're good. We're good on that. As far as keeping him next year on the team, uh, that's going to be an interesting offseason, of course. And then that team will have DeAnthony Melton on it for next year. The problem is he's not eligible for what we call, what the CBA calls, the rookie scale extension. So we cannot sign him to an extension. And because of the contract that he signed, he will be an unrestricted free agent. And feel free to fact check me on this. I did a lot of research, but I, I, you know, it's the CBA, so I'm not a lawyer. Feel free to fact check me on this. He's not eligible for the rookie extension. He will be an unrestricted free agent after next year. And because he was only on the team for two years, we only have what's called his early bird rights, which is a complicated thing that we can potentially sign him above the cap, but the amount that counts above the cap is a small amount. Uh, and it, it's a complicated scenario with D'Anthony Melton. Um, that cap situation moving forward is going to be very interesting for James Jones, and we need to keep D'Anthony Melton on this team. And I will say, for D'Anthony Melton as a player, it's a good situation for him to be in. He's clearly shown that he's going to be a really excellent defender in the NBA, and he's going to have the chance to sign for any amount after two years in the NBA. So a good situation for him as far as making money early in his career but a bad situation for the Suns. And it's unfortunate that we couldn't get rid of uh, Tyson Chandler's old man body earlier to really sign DeAnthony Melton to a full rookie scale contract early on to keep him and keep his... We also don't have, I should say, we don't have his restricted rights. He's an unrestricted That really hurts. Really unfortunate situation. Really hurts. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, it's, it's a good point that you brought that up because I don't think I've seen anyone else really bring it up yet. Uh, the combination of only having early bird rights and also the fact that he's going to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of next year, it really hurts uh, for our ability to retain him going forward. So that's going to be a really interesting conversation next year. So 
I guess from our perspective, do whatever it takes, James Jones, because we're counting him on the timeline here. The good news is we have some time to convince him, but uh, the bad news is it's going to be entirely up to DeAnthony Melton. So uh, we're going to have to give him some opportunities next year to make him want to stay, I think. And I think he's earned it. So it will be interesting to see what happens over this offseason if DeAnthony Melton ends up as our backup point guard going forward. Will he look for that starting spot uh, in free agency? We'll see. And will he be uh, eligible to get that on another team? A team like, I guess, the Bulls <laughs> could, could potentially sign him. All right. So those are some guys. So who we've said out so far. Troy Daniels, out. Rashawn Holmes, in. Dragon Bender, out. Elliot Kobo, out. DeAnthony Melton, in. So, so far, the timeline is... Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Rashawn Holmes, and DeAnthony Melton. Pretty good so far, but what you'll notice is missing is that wing player. So there's four wings I want to talk about moving forward and I think we have to talk about all four of these guys together to really get the scope of how this conversation works and those guys are of course TJ Warren, Kelly Oubre Jr., Mikhail Bridges, and Josh Jackson and on the face of it for me all four of those guys are in on the face of it but do you think that's a realistic scenario to have Four wing, four guys whose natural position no. is the three going forward on this team. So you think, no, just right, well, just right off the Well, here's the, back the thing. TJ Warren has had a fantastic season. He surpassed our expectations by becoming a consistent 40% three-point shooter. Despite that, he, he can't be the solution long-term at the four. We've seen enough of a sample size now that he just can't. Since TJ Warren became our starting power forward, the Suns rank dead last in the NBA in rebounding. They're the only team in the NBA averaging under 40 rebounds per game since TJ took over that spot. So if there's one of those guys, be it Oubre, Bridges, Jackson, or Warren, who can prove that they can actually be that power forward of the future and and rebound at a consistent level, I'm talking at least like, I don't know, seven or eight rebounds per 36, then I don't think it's an issue. But as it currently stands, I do think it's an issue because one of the main reasons that the Suns keep losing games is because of all the second chance points that they surrender to other teams. You have defenses know that the way they can beat the Suns is by getting the switch onto DeAndre Ayton, dragging him out onto the perimeter, forcing him to guard a small player, and then you take the shot knowing that the Suns don't have any other players in the vicinity of the rim who can actually grab that rebound, so you crash the glass and get second chance opportunities. It's a really easy way to beat this team right now. And uh, the only solution that the Suns have to it is if they wanted to try Rashawn Holmes, uh, DeAndre Ayton, power forward center combo, but then you don't have any spacing. So I, it's it's clear yeah, they don't want to try that. It seems like that, and I don't think it's a good now. idea. I don't think they should try that either. So I don't either. unless TJ can yeah. surprise us once more, which who knows, maybe he can, and up those rebounding numbers a little bit, then uh, someone has to be the odd man out. Because I am going to say right now, there again, there are some interesting power forward names on the free agent market uh, this upcoming offseason. Maybe you could look into Zion as well. And uh, I am going to be very supportive of the Suns going after some of those types of names to fix their rebounding and defensive uh, issues. But then that leaves one of these wings you know, out of the timeline. It seems like it's more likely for Mikhail Bridges and Josh Jackson to play up to the two position. 
So that leaves TJ Warren and Kelly Oubre at potential power forwards. Who do you think would be better going forward as a power forward? I think if we're just talking about rebounding alone, it, I would say Kelly Oubre Jr. just from his athleticism. I, I don't right? even know. Um, maybe. What is Oubre? He's averaging three and a half rebounds per game on the season. He's. Yeah. I mean, it's confusing with TJ, honestly, because his offensive rebounding rate. Now, actually, now that I think about it, it's probably not that confusing. He's at a career low 0.7 offensive rebounds per game. By far a career low. Last year he's at 1.9. Now that I think about it, it's probably being dragged out to the perimeter so much, forcing him to be a spot-up three-point option that makes it harder to grab offensive rebounds. But uh, between him and Ubre, I don't. Yeah. I just don't think there's a clear solution there. No, I, I think that you're right about that. I think Ubre might be a little bit taller, which would help a little bit. But uh, yeah, it's it's not a great situation for power forwards going forward so that leaves one of these guys as a potential odd man out or maybe not i mean maybe there's a potential to keep all four of these guys if if a guy like josh jackson ends up being really cheap future you know in the future but that's not a great scenario right if he's really cheap in free agency in the future it's because he's not playing well so why keep him uh so let's talk quickly about the contract situation with these four guys so the best situation we have is tj warren tj warren actually has a really interesting contract. So he's still signed. He has $47 million guaranteed left on his contract, including this year. Uh, next, So it's interesting to me, this year he's making $11,750,000. So $11.75 million uh, this year. His contract actually goes down in a very nice little uh, change. Uh, they clearly planned on this 2019 20 um, this 2019 summer being the the summer where they pursue free agents because his contract goes down to 10.8 million next year and then he it goes back up to 11.75 and 12.96 in the in the subsequent years. So going forward, T.J. Warren is signed through 2021-22 season uh, and pretty good scenario, a pretty good contract for his production so far. Um, and then we have Mikael Bridges and Josh Jackson who are both on rookie scale contracts. Um, Josh Jackson will actually be a restricted free agent after the 2019-2020 season. So it'll be an interesting scenario when we talk about his free agency. If he keeps improving, he's probably going to make a pretty good amount of money going forward. Not a problem we have to deal with right now, uh, a problem going forward. And then Mikhail Bridges, he's signed all the way through 21-22. Not a scenario where we have to worry about him going forward. In my opinion, all four of these guys are playing very well. Uh, I would say for the most part, exceeding expectations for everyone except Josh Jackson. Is that right? Yeah, all of them are playing really well in the past couple of weeks. Um, Josh Jackson has not had a good season overall. (laughs) So I think it it begs an interesting question because TJ Warren is very clearly a much better player than Josh Jackson right now. And I think the only thing that would get me to change my mind about that is if Josh Jackson can take what he's been doing over the past couple of weeks, because really he's been quite good, limiting his turnovers, uh, more assists, a better three-point shot. If he can take that and do it for like another 20 games, then I'll start to buy that it's for real. Uh, but overall on the season, he's clearly the worst of the four players right now. Let's. So the most urgent, the most immediate of these situations that we have to figure out is the Kelly Oubre Jr. one. He's a free agent after this year. Uh, he could. Put, we do have his, for, for the cap experts here we do have his bird rights we do own his restricted rights so he's technically a restricted free agent going forward if other teams offered him significant contracts we could potentially match 
He appears to want to stay in Phoenix. He has expressed that he's a real big fan of this team. He talked about transitioning really easily. To me, this has to do with being surrounded by other players that are his age, and he just fits in nicely. He's played very well on the court. He's shooting much better. I believe he's at 34-ish percent from three. Uh, He was shooting 31 in Washington, so we'll see if he can sustain that. He was at 37 um, and then went down a little over the last few, few, few games. So we'll see if he can sustain that type of three-point shooting. He's done very well um, as far as attacking. He's a little interesting, a little Josh Jackson-esque on the attacks, maybe a little out of control sometimes. Um, But also, I do think there is a legitimate case to be made that he's actually brought some swagger to this team. Like, actually, I know I kind of laugh when people talk about that, but they kind of look a little different, a little cockier with him out on the floor, right? Yeah, the whole Valley Boys thing. Yeah. We're a Valley Boys podcast now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think it's not something that's unheard of. You know, the Warriors have Draymond Green. They've even signed Nick Young. I think there's 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 types of guys that you can bring on to the team that just bring a little bit more confidence to the team as a whole just because they exude confidence themselves. And a guy like Kelly Uber Jr. does do that. So on, on the surface, I would say yes, he's part of this timeline. Just as a player, I think he fits as far as being a wing guy. And I don't think he's one of these, out of these four guys, if I had one person that could be expendable, I wouldn't necessarily include him as one of those uh, four guys. So Kelly Oubre Jr., depending on what he gets in free agency, I would say yes, he's part of the timeline. Do you agree? Yeah, you can't afford to let go of him with the way he's playing right now. I don't know if it's going to pan out and he's going to be better than these other three wings though. But you just can't, afford to get rid of any of them right now now it should be said he's got a much more uh, substantial cap hold he's got a cap hold of 9.6 million dollars so Holmes and Ubre combined are we're looking at about 11 million dollars that you have to write off of the sun's cap space going into the summer if right. you decide that those are two guys that you want to make a priority in terms of resigning them yes so for those of you who still have hope for that Kevin Durant is coming to to uh, Phoenix it's not with Kelly Ubre. <laughs> If you see them immediately renounce the cap hold for Kelly Oubre Jr. Uh, and then uh, and then look look for other deals there, then you can assume that a, a big name free agent that makes a lot of money is potentially considering the Suns. So I don't expect that. So I expect a guy like Kelly Oubre Jr. to stay. And I think if you do end up signing him, what he gets in free agency is very interesting. It's the, kind of the worst case scenario as far as uh, teams having cap space and there being a primer on wing players in the NBA, there's a potential of him, just one team, uh, kind of giving him way too much in free agency and the Suns being put in a scenario where they have to decide whether or not they want to match that. So who knows what he's going to get. We do have the ability of signing him above the cap and only that $9.6 million or whatever it was that you stated, counting towards the cap in this in this current summer. But just as a player, I think he's got to be he's got to be part of it. Do you have any idea? Do you have any thoughts on what he could potentially make in free agency? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I said this was easier than Holmes, but now that I think about it, maybe it's not. Um, I would guess around fourteen to sixteen million dollars a year is what yeah. I would think for a wing player like this who's shown some promise but still has had consistency issues. Uh, but I don't know. I guess I mean you're right with this many teams having cap space in the summer. There's always potential that some crazy team out there just offers the uh, dreaded poison pill contract, throws them a $20 million offer, and uh, basically dares Phoenix to match and put themselves in a 
pretty shitty cap situation for the next four or five years. Yeah, I hope that doesn't happen. But I also want him to make his money. So Kelly Uber Jr., I, I think he wants to stay. And I think I should I should say he actually said he wanted to stay to a fan courtside. That could mean nothing. But somebody yelled at him, hey, Kelly, you should stay in Phoenix. And he said, tell James Jones you feel that way. So a good sign, at the very least, a good sign that he wants to stay. So the other two guys, um, and we'll get back to TJ Warren, but the other two guys is Mikhail Bridges and Josh Jackson. And I think Mikhail Bridges is a no-brainer. This guy's part of the team going forward. He has, to me, defensive player of the year potential on defense. He's a guy that can just change things. He's got the length. He's got the brain. Once he gets the strength, watch out because he's got all the other he's got all the other stuff. And this is the benefit of occasionally going after guys in the draft, especially when you have the privilege of having two high picks like the Suns have had, uh, of going after someone who is more polished, a junior or a senior perhaps instead of one of the younger guys because now you've got Mikhail Bridges signed to a rookie scale contract that's really cheap for the next 4 years, but he's already entering year 1 as a capable NBA player. So by year 3, year 4, he's going to look pretty damn good and he's still only yeah. going to be making four or five million dollars right and you could potentially sign a free agent whose contract drops off before any mikhail bridges extension kicks in and you could just assume that mikhail bridges will take that place going forward once he's in his prime really his situation is one of the best that we have on this team because of the point you made about him coming in as a capable player him being signed at a really small deal because he wasn't picked he was in 10th so relatively um high pick but like compared to what josh jackson is making and and deandre ayton is making his contract is much more affordable going forward so it's a no-brainer to me and there's no chance mikhail bridges is off this team for the next few years perfect fit next to devin booker uh, as far as a guy that makes up for those flaws. And I think his shooting is not a concern moving forward. Whether or not he can create for himself, not really a concern for me either if he brings that level of defense. It's just a great, great fit on this team, and I'm looking forward to watching him for years and years. Anything else to add on McHale? No, let's move on to Josh. Yeah, this is where it gets interesting. So, there's two Josh Jacksons. <laughs> The Andre Iguodala, the- Josh Jackson, and then the Corey <laughs> yeah. Brewer, Wesley Johnson, Josh Jackson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's kind of the Jeff Green of of this uh, draft class in a, in a small way. But the in- interesting part about Josh Jackson is what he's good at is the Andre Iguodala stuff, right? He what the potential he shows is such a perfect fit on this team if he's able to reach that potential. So how you feel about him going forward? is a measurement of how you feel about his ability to reach that potential. And there's some debate on that, rightfully so. Um, I, I always sort of, I, I respect the people that are just the stalwart Josh Jackson supporters that will not budge. They just believe that he's going to reach that potential and anyone who else, else who disagrees is completely insane. But I think that <laughs> because of how he's looked the last few weeks, you kind of have to include him in there. Uh, because if it does work out, And he was kind of a project coming into the league, although a lot of people thought he was NBA ready. With a shot like that, you're just automatically a project. Um, If it does work out, he's one of those guys like Mikhail Bridges that ends up being a perfect fit around Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. And if we're building around those two guys, if that's where we're starting, then that skill set is a perfect fit around those guys. It's just how you believe um, he's going to reach that potential in our, if you believe he's going to. Do you think he is? Uh, Eek. I don't know. 
<laughs> it's tough, man, because like I said, Josh has had a really rough season overall. I mean, he's still shooting like 40% from the field, 30% from three. He's still committing as many turnovers as he gets assists. But over the past couple of weeks, he's really he's beginning to instill some faith in me that he can maybe sort of figure it out. Uh, what what has frustrated me a lot about Josh in the past is uh, you were actually talking about it in the last episode is the whole gambling thing. He's not yeah. the same sort of gifted athlete, at least. Well, OK, he's a gifted athlete. He doesn't have the same sort of natural, amazing, God given wingspan that a guy like he's no length. Yeah, he's, he's completely wingspan to height neutral compared to a yeah. guy like Mikhail Bridges or DeAnthony Melton, these guys have like five or six inches on their wingspan greater than their height. They can walk into two steals per game. They barely have to try. Uh, Josh can give all the effort he wants on defense, and he's just not going to be able to make the same sort of swipes and the same sort of reads that a guy like Mikhail Bridges can. So he really has to focus on um, be concentrating more on defense and, and being smarter about the way that he plays defense. Uh, so basically... If he can tap into that and become a little bit smarter offensively and a little bit smarter defensively, he has a place on this roster. But um, I'm not only on this roster, but sort of on this core going forward. But as of now, I'll just reiterate what I said before. He's probably the worst of these four wing prospects that we have. Um, ultimately, I think you have to hold on to all of these four guys at least until next year. You're eventually going to have to make the decision about which wing is the odd man out. But it's just too early for us to make that decision yet. If you had to rank these guys, one through four, who would be your number one as far as the timeline, that sense of that conversation goes? For me, it would be Mikhail Bridges. Well, so clarify, are you talking about how these guys are going to look, let's say, two or three years from now when this is hopefully a good team? Yeah. Okay. So I think the best way to talk about it is when we talk about the timeline, we're talking about guys that can grow together and be great in a few years. And the number one of these four guys, the guy who has shown, the, to me, the main skill that is absolutely going to be incredible going forward is Mikhail Bridges with that defense. And he just plays smart. And I just have faith that he's going to be a great shooter too. And that's a perfect fit around the guys that we have moving forward in Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, and even the other guys that we've included so far in DeAnthony Melton and Rashawn Holmes. Uh, so to me, Mikhail Bridges is in 100% in. So if we're ranking them, we could say the fourth guy is potentially the odd man out. And we're talking a few years from now. So Kelly Oubre, we've already counted. We're going to put him in. So I think the conversation revolves around who do you believe is going to be the better player out of Josh Jackson or TJ Warren, maybe two or three years. I think I agree with you. Mikhail Bridges is my number one as well because of the perfect fit idea. Then I think Josh Jackson has the highest ceiling and the lowest floor out of the remaining three guys. So he's got the ceiling to be the right. second best player. He's got the floor to be the fourth. Assuming that he falls somewhere in between, this is really imprecise math, but let's say he falls somewhere mm -hmm. in between those two outcomes and he's third, <laughs> then I would probably put TJ Warren as like a safe bet to be number two and maybe Kelly Oubre falls to be the odd man out. But again, it's so early. It's hard to, it's really hard for me to say. Here's my problem. Fit. If we're f talking fit, Kelly Oubre, Mikael Bridges, and Josh Jackson are a better fit to me around Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. And I will say, TJ Warren's increased three-point shooting has increased his likelihood to fit around That's those exactly. guys. But he's just not, he's not really the defender. He's not really the rebounder. 
And I just don't know. I think two or three years from now, I think maybe all three of those other guys might still be a better fit around Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. And here's why I think it's important to talk about this now. TJ Warren, to me, is on a great contract. And if we do have three other wings that can slot into that position moving forward, maybe it's still a good time to talk about potentially putting him on the trade market and seeing what you can get now that his value is higher than it's ever been before because of that three-point shooting stroke. And I, I love TJ Warren. I think it should be said, I'm a big fan of TJ Warren. But if we're talking about building the perfect team around Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, he might be, in my mind, still the odd man out going forward. And, I, I, and that includes the volatility of Josh Jackson in my mind. I, I just think... Am you, I crazy? No, you're not crazy, but I just think you have to wait till next year. If you can get Oubre on that $15 million a year contract, it's very tradable, right. assuming he plays all right. You can go into next year, right. experiment with the four of those wings, see if Josh Jackson has a killer junior year and can convince you mm-hmm. uh, of his future potential if he hasn't already for, for some of those diehard Josh Jackson fans, as you were mentioning. Right. But then you've got three tradable contracts in TJ Warren, Kelly Oubre, and Josh Jackson only making like 7 or $8 million a year as well. Uh, so I think I think this is an issue that can wait to be resolved until next season. I think that's actually probably the best case scenario is all four of these guys are on the team next year and we're getting rid of guys like um, Dragon Bender and, of course, Ryan Anderson are going to be gone. So they just slot into those uh, spots. So let's say we'll, we'll include all four of them for now and we'll tentatively say one of them could be on the way out sometime next season depending on how they play it's going to be a reality show we got to come up with a name for the uh the wings reality <laughs> show for for next year <laughs> who gets the roses and who doesn't so to recap the timeline moving forward when sam and i refer to the timeline the team that is devin booker deandre ayton tj warren kelly Oubre jr mikhail bridges josh jackson rashawn holmes and DeAnthony Melton. So eight players are included as part of our core going forward, and the team will have to fill out the rest of the roster with players that fit around those eight guys. And I think that's actually not as hard as it could be. In my opinion, this conversation has made me pretty confident about the future. How do you feel? Pretty good about the future. Let's talk uh, cap. So what I said before, about 27 to 40-ish million dollars is obviously deceiving. If you want to keep Rashawn Holmes and Kelly Oubre, as part of the timeline, which is yes, what we're the saying two free right agents. Now. Yeah, so those two guys have a combined cap hold of about $11 million. So realistically, the Suns have anywhere from 15 to $30 million to work with in free agency. Specifically, the three numbers for Suns fans to remember is 15 20 or $30 million, depending on what they do with Ryan Anderson. If you keep Ryan Anderson on the team next season and pay him all of his $21 million, then you go into this summer with $15 million in a cap space that's your lowest option if you waive ryan anderson then he has this partially guaranteed contract and you get to save some money doing that that's option number two you have 20 million dollars in free agency um and then option number three if you waive and stretch his last deal that's how you get up to 30 million dollars regardless of those three options they're definitely good free agents that the suns can get in you know any of those three options but notice that you don't actually create a max contract slot that way you can't actually get a max contract player and still want to keep Ubre and Holmes. So that leaves and we'll cover of course this more in the future 
that leaves other potential players that maybe aren't max players uh, that could fit on this team going forward. We've said, you know, D'Angelo Russell could be one of those guys. Ricky Rubio, um, you know, we've talked about Miritich. There's lots of guys that could fit on this team around these guys uh, that won't be max guys going forward. We may have max guys. There's two max guys on the team already in Devin Booker and DeAndre and really going forward. So who knows who's that? who that's going to be. Um, but I'm pretty confident that, I mean, I think the Suns have a nice situation as far as cap goes. And I think it should be said, there's no chance that Ryan Anderson is on the team. Actually, there's no chance. Really? That they just okay. Pay. Cause I was actually about to bring that up. I think you can make an interesting case to keep Ryan Anderson on the team next year. I think at the very least they'll waive him. There's, I just don't think they're going to want him taking up that roster. But spot. Here's the thing. Let's say you sign Kelly Oubre to 15, I don't know, whatever million dollars you re-sign Rashawn Holmes suddenly you're in a situation where okay you keep Ryan Anderson you pay him the full 21 million dollars you use the 15 million dollars of cap space to go out and get your power forward and then you need to go out and get your point guard right uh, except every other trade. player exactly every other mm-hmm. player on the roster is not a contract that you want to trade because they're all parts of your core the only piece who you can trade in order to match salaries with a team to get a legitimate star player who's making a lot of money is the expiring contract of Ryan Anderson. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. It's definitely a possibility that we shouldn't rule out. I think it's possible that the Suns keep Ryan Anderson around if only to try and swap him because, you know, it's kind of appealing for some team to get $20 million of cap relief in the form of Ryan Anderson plus whatever, you know, draft picks and young assets the Suns are willing to give up for their point guard of the future. All right, so what we'll do, Sam, we'll take this podcast, we'll put it on a resume, we'll send it to the Suns, and we'll apply for that general manager position now that we understand the situation going forward. <laughs> we can make yeah, a case. Yeah, we can make a case. We can make a case. James Jones, I know you're listening. Just give us a call if you need some help. Anything else you'd like to add, Sam? Uh, Nope, that's about it for this one. We did it. We solved all the problems with this team. We figured out what, what it's going to be going forward. We figured forward. out the numbers, but uh, other than that, we have about nothing. So time for James Jones to get some... I mean, I've, I've got some names right now that I'm interested in on free agency. I just don't know if we should wait until another episode or not. Save okay. it. Save it. Yep, I think we, we're already over 70 minutes here. Thank you for everyone who stuck around because this last part, as far as the cap, is probably the most important thing to understand about this team going forward. Um, don't forget to give us a follow on Twitter if you haven't already at the Timeline Pod. I'm at I'm Pat Burks. Sam, you're at Scooper Hoops. Scooper Hoops. Scooper Hoops. Give us a follow. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with some more interesting talk. Maybe we'll start getting into the draft pretty soon too. I'm sure Suns fans are one eye on the worst draft. draft class in years. Which one would y'all want to wear? This one is real. You cannot run. Just in case a dog or a pit bull or a loose dog somewhere that'll get you, you done. You roll your ankle, all that. This is a running shoe. Springy, a lot of, you know, a lot of pushing at the bottom. You know, to jump the fence and all. Look at it. You just wrapped up another episode of The Timeline. I love this podcast. And if you're like me, you want as much Suns content as possible. That's why I listen to The Timeline every week. So if you want to go ahead and hear some more 
Phoenix Suns content, go ahead and listen to the solar panel at Phoenix Suns show. We are available on Spotify, on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play, anywhere that you listen to podcasts, go ahead and check out the solar panel, a Phoenix Suns show. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.